make money online. A reader on my mailing list wrote in and asked about the balance between educational content consumption, reading ebooks, watching videos, and doing the work. And it's something that I've thought a lot about and Nick thinks a lot about. We both practice in our business, in our lives. How do you balance the actual reading of the thing, learning of the thing, studying of the thing with the implementation and the doing of the thing? Uh, for both of us, it comes down to time and management. Nick, start us off if you would. Tell me a little bit about how you tackle what to read and when. How do you understand what the most important thing to focus on is? Uh, what to read and when is... Um, that's kind of difficult, actually. I don't know. Like A lot of articles just kind of come past me during my day. Um, I build up a reputation for being into a certain set of things, and people will pay stuff to me in Slack rooms or iMessage or email or whatever have you. And so I'll just get information during the day, and it will sort of ambiently pass through. Um, there's that, and then there's the book stack. The book stack is last out, first in. I think that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, what is whatever that is? It's, Lifeo last in first out or yeah, you have to yeah that one. You have to wait your turn in the book stack. So when I get a new book, it goes to the bottom of the stack. And that's what that is, right? Um, so I uh, I did that, and it was um, it was actually pretty easy to like establish that routine. And I usually read in the mornings and the evenings. Um, and sometimes it's professional stuff. Sometimes it's like tech adjacent stuff. Like right now I'm reading a book by uh, Sarah Wachter Boetcher, whom I'm probably butchering the last name of. Um, and uh, it's about the tech industry, but I'm not going to be applying it to conversion rate optimization anytime soon, right? It's good. Um, but yeah. Um, then there's kind of the time that I plan during the rest of the day where in the morning, morning is writing time, writing time is sacred time. Um, I have upended my mornings all of thrice in 2017 uh, to do anything that wasn't writing. Um, and then uh, the afternoon usually kind of breaks into early afternoon as client work and late afternoon is like reading and walking the dog. Um, and I've just kind of always done that, right? Because reading is the most critical thing in my business. Um, if I'm not constantly understanding what to do next in the tech industry, I'm going to fall behind and I'm not going to have a job. Uh, if you are part of the tech industry, you fundamentally have to be understanding what is the new cool shit. You have to understand what works now. And so if you're not reading a lot uh, and working that into your routine frequently, um, you have probably around... How long do you imagine before you become irrelevant and have to quit the industry? I would say about four years. <laughs> now, I'm with you on the value of reading and the value of continual education. I, I don't know. Does it necessarily completely obsolete you? Where do we draw the line of being in the tech industry? Am I in the tech industry? Are you in the tech industry? Like, where, where is that dividing line? Um, I definitely think I'm in the tech industry. I think you're in the tech industry. I'm a professional typist. <laughs> but but somebody listening who's a copywriter, are they necessarily in the tech industry? Is anybody who's a knowledge worker these days in the tech industry by fiat? Um, I think increasingly the tech industry is just kind of growing to encompass all businesses. And there's ceasing to be a distinction, right? Like I'm, you know, one of my clients, they make... Um, like artisanal handmade bracelets from Bali, right? But if they weren't an e-commerce business, they wouldn't be turning over the amount that they do. 
right? You could theoretically go to Bali and ship it and get to like a hippie market someplace and you would be doing maybe, I guess, 20K a year or something like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that if you want to grow as a business in the year of our Lord 2017, you have to pretend like you're a tech company, even when you're not, right? Um, and I'm, when I say tech industry, I mean more in like a, an actual building role, right? Because you can be in the tech industry and be in marketing. You can be in the tech industry and be in um, content creation or, and it's still peripheral, right? Like you're, you're a writer first and foremost, but you happen to be a writer for Casper, which is a tech company, right? They're a tech company that happens to issue mattresses to people, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. fundamentally a tech company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so, I, I agree yeah. with you there. Yeah, that's a, a bit of a digression from the, the reading and writing bit. But if you're like a designer or developer, especially if you're a developer, you should be reading every single day. You should be devoting at least an hour and a half to your reading and, uh, and education every single day. And if you don't, I mean, that's the way you become professional. But if you don't, also, you're going to be on the wrong side of history when your language gets deprecated or your job gets outsourced, right? Your jobs don't get outsourced in the language that came out 10 minutes ago. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with you there. I I dislike the idea of constantly chasing the latest fad or the latest uh, uh, tech hotness, but I think your point on needing, say, 90 minutes a day to read, to study, to actually level up is absolutely on point. When I think about my own business, one of the inflection points was very much when I started actively reading to learn particular topics about business or about my industry or about new industries. Uh, Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes is one of my favorite and one of my more recommended books on sales and marketing and business. And two separate business ideas came out of two chapters in that book for me. I would not have the business I have today were it not for reading that book, discovering an idea and saying, huh, this is interesting. Let me play around with it a bit and it turning into something that made me hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I completely agree on the value of consistent education, consistent reading, and paired with that, consistent doing, consistent taking the idea and throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks. There needs to be a balance between the two. At times in my life, I've definitely fallen too far on the reading side than the implementation side. As I say this out loud, I realize I've never fallen in a year in my life too far on the implementation side than the reading side. And that would actually be an interesting experience. What would happen if I decreased the amount of reading and just focused on implementing the ideas and backlog for three months, six months, or a year? But consistent implementation, I think, needs to be paired with consistent reading. And to get there, first and foremost, you need to be making the time to read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're taking the time to listen to our stupid podcast, you can take the time to read. You know, just do both at the same time. We guarantee no productivity diminished. I mean, you're going to get about as much value if you read while listening to our podcast as if you pay very careful attention. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're good at our at our work. (laughs) For me, one thing I've started doing this year uh, 40%, 30% of the time, and I'm looking to do more frequently and more consistently in the coming year is setting out a reading plan, either in two-week or four-week sprints, just so I'm able to say, this is the problem I'm facing right now. Maybe it's a mental problem. Maybe it's an emotional problem. Maybe it's a business problem. Whatever it is, there's a problem. And on the show, we love talking about how problems have solutions. And in this context, the solution is saying, well, I'm experiencing this problem. Let me read two, three, four books on this problem to understand the solutions, to understand what I could do to solve this problem. 
And then once you've read this, once you've internalized this information, once you have some idea of what the lay of the land is, there's really two paths forward. A, I don't yet know enough to start implementing a solution. I need to read and study more. B, okay, I know enough to start testing things. Let me start implementing solutions and see what works. And more often than not, I think after reading two or three books, you should fall on B. You should start implementing ideas to see what works and start gathering data based on that because it's so easy in a vacuum to say, ah, I don't know enough about this. Let me read another book or read more articles on this. When the truth is until you actually take the idea, whatever the idea is, be it business or not, to market, to the real world, take it out into the harsh light of day, you really don't know what you don't know. You only encounter those unknown unknowns once you take your idea and present it to the world. Once you take whatever solution you've conceived of and presented it to the world, and then you're able to say, oh, wow, I completely did not expect A, B, and C. Let me go read and study more to understand how to solve those problems. So it really is an iterative aspect between reading and doing where you want the reading to inform what you're going to do and the lessons learned from the doing to inform what you read next. That at least has been my experience growing my business. What I've decided to read next has come from the projects I most recently worked on and what I learned or what I learned I did not know by working on those projects. Yeah, I um, I'm sort of the opposite. <laughs> I come from like a very academic-y background. And so I just, reading happens. It's not a thing I have to force for myself. It's a thing that just like, it's always there. And maybe I'm just taking it for granted, but like I spend maybe three hours a day reading, like between morning, evening, just like all of my waking hours, I spend so much fucking time reading. And, and that's, you know, probably a result of my upbringing and my background and like what I did in college and whatever have you. But like, um, the result of it is I don't think about what to read next. I have a stack a book goes in the bottom of the stack. Once I have completed the stack, I ask a couple people, what should I put in my stack? And then Amazon Prime orders just appear at my house because people are like, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. Here's the <laughs> one book I care about. And then they send me, I don't know, the Bible. Um, no, they don't send me the Bible. Um, they send me the, the book they actually care about. And uh, then it goes in my stack and that happens like a couple times and it works real well. Um, but I, I don't know, like books just, I have a confidence that good books are going to find me. Like I surround myself with good people and the good people happen to recommend good books. And so I don't really have to think about, am I getting low quality books in that aren't going to help me? I also am very skeptical about shitty books you have basically 20 pages to keep me reading your book. And I will come in and, and skim the table of contents, understand how the book is structured, especially for nonfiction books, and understand where to get like interesting bits out of that book, right? There's a lot of times where I'll read half of a book and I'll be like, that was a damn good book. It was incredibly valuable for me. Understanding that a nonfiction book is not really necessarily meant to be read the entire way through, at least most of them that aren't meant as like entertainment in your bookshop, but like books where you're supposed to actually learn something and get something done. Um, you can skip around them. You can skim them. You can throw them to the side if they're not working out for you. Um, and so the consequence of that is that I go through probably, <sighs> probably around a hundred, 120 books a year, something like that. Mm -hmm. Similar uh, for a, me. It's a lot of books, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't read 120 books a year. I said, go through 120 books, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm close reading maybe 20 
and then I'm half-assedly skimming slash partially reading probably about 50 more. And then the rest are just bullshit, and I don't have to read them. I look at them, I see they're not worth my time, and I throw them to the side. Congratulations, I just completed another book in the stack. I dealt with it. Now, the, one of the reasons, just to return to this for a moment, I, one of the reasons I like having a planned out reading list is the same reason I like working with a personal trainer. I could show up at the gym every day and do whatever workout comes to mind and feel like, hey, I want to work on my delts today. I want to work on my biceps today. I'm going to do bicep related things. But I found by having the personal trainer set out a workout regimen to help me achieve a goal, it helps me achieve that goal faster. And so planning out a reading list saying, okay, to solve this problem, I want to read these four books versus the stack method, which I also do use. I found it to be more impactful in helping me understand the solution to a problem, similar to yeah. having that personal trainer. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good analogy to be making. Like, if you are the kind of person that needs that sort of guidance to stay accountable on your reading routine, by all means, plan out your books. Have a book club, like read with other people, uh, go out of the house and say, this is going to be my reading time and only take your Apple Watch or no device at all, better yet. Um, all of those things are, are tremendously valuable. Um, if you're a crazy weirdo who did chaos theory research for NASA for in college, um, then you should probably just be reading all the time, right? Like, I love reading. I'm one of the, I am the success story of the kids department of a library. It's like, reading is fun. <laughs> I'm like, it is. Oh, right. <laughs> so so oh we got it we, here's a flashback kai story i don't think i've ever told the story on a podcast before so dear listeners you'll enjoy it so uh, i must have been seven or eight years old local public library was having a reading contest read i think it was 50 pages or 100 pages get a ticket and i'm there one day returning books filling out my tickets and these kids see me and i have a stack of like 40 tickets in front of me and they're like how and i'm like i really enjoy reading I really enjoy reading. My childhood was take a, a crate, like a milk crate to the library, fill it with books, read them, return them a week later. I grew up just with an innate love of reading. It is mm -hmm. probably my number one favorite hobby. And let me tell you, when it's your number one hobby, it's hard to date people who don't read. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My partner is actually frustrated at how little I read, which is... <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh -huh. She's like um, some sort of crazy power user on Goodreads. Like her biggest social network is Good Goodreads. And you know she's like, she has a fairly large presence on the internet. Her biggest social network is Goodreads. Um, yeah. Follow Aaron Watson on Goodreads, everybody. Um, but anyway, yeah. So... Point being, like, I, I don't know. I'm one of those people who just, like, reading happens at me, and I, I just churn through books, and it's great. But if you're not that kind of person, like, carve out a space for it and carve out a routine from that. And the way that I know how to do that is through time management. And it's not even just... I'm carving out space to read, but there's also the matter of figuring out what to read, right? Um, I've solved that largely by surrounding myself with other crazy bookheads um, and other people who know what I like and being very outgoing about that. Um, but in the absence of that, what you do, uh, you have a library. And if you live in a big city, you have a big library. And I'm envious because it means you don't have to go 35 minutes to go to the library. Um, 
I just sit on shypublib.org and make holds on my partner's account because she goes to the library way more often than I do. So I just, she just checks them out on her card and gives them to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And they, and they happen on interlibrary loan because Chicago's uh, layout is probably similar to other cities where they have a big library downtown that has all the interesting books. And if you want like 50 shades of the horror thing, whatever... Um, you can go to your local library or you just get loans over there and they're for free, right? So you could just say, hey, I want this, send it to Logan Square. And now my book is a one mile bike ride away and not, you know, a half hour L ride away to another L to et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so it's easier that way. Um, buying used books, buying, uh, checking books out of the library, doing all these things. The goal is to spend as little on this entire endeavor as humanly possible because otherwise you're going to be spending too much money and you're going to be wasting a lot of money on books you're not going to like. And you don't know until you open it. You know, that's the problem with books. You're only enthusiastic about the book when you decide to get the book and then it goes at the bottom of the stack and you're like, what is this? What was I thinking about macrame in 2016? You Slow know, cooker like, revolution. I mean, slow cookers are great. Is there a revolution, though? Hell no. <laughs> Just use the slow cooker, Jesus. No, I completely hear you there. That moment of excitement when you buy the book is, I mean, it's the trigger. It's you're getting this thing. You're so excited about it. And then it's on the bookcase or next to the bed. And four months later, you discover it. And it's like, what is this? What did I buy? Why do I own it? Buying, I love buying used books off of Amazon. I, if somebody recommends a book and I'm able to get it for like $4 shipped to me, great. I am fine making like a long bet on the value of that book. I love my local library. It's it's so valuable to be able to check books out. I prefer buying books to checking books out specifically because I'm one of the type of people who love highlighting passages in books. Uh, you and I both use tape flags. I write marginalia notes in the margins on my books, and then I'll go back and review the notes two to four weeks later and extract out anything that's relevant, any directives that I found in the book. So my process of reading does not play well with a library, but it plays very well with building up my own personal library of books. Yeah, my my library library books override other books in the stack because I have three weeks to read them, you know. But yeah, that's that's about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, oh, tape flagging you mentioned. Um, if I own the book, oh my God, I cover it in tape flags. Um, and what I do... I, I was mentioning this to Kai while we were preparing the notes for this this uh, one, but I buy the one that's like the five color tape flags from Post-it because they're cheap and because nobody makes a single color tape flag that's the same size, like the tiny pocket size. So I can outline, I can, I can point at a specific line um, and then I rip it apart and I sort it in order from cool to warm color and there's a hierarchy. If something is like, huh, that's a cool life hack tip thing, um then it gets a blue tape flag. If it's more interesting, it's green. If it's like getting to the point where it's like actionable advice, it's yellow. If you earn a red tape flag, you have justified your existence as an author to me. <laughs> um, the most number of ta red tape flags I have ever put in a book once is uh, eight. Oh, wow. Uh, it takes a lot to get eight red tape flags. You have to be, in this case, Alan Weiss's million dollar consulting to get eight red tape flags and a lot of orange, <laughs> a lot of yellow. Um, I think I went through two packs of tape flags on that book. 
It's a good book. It's a good book. It's a good book. You have to yeah. earn your tape flags. There's some books that get one tape flag or I put in a tape flag two thirds of the way through the book and Aaron is like, it took that long for them to get a single blue tape flag. I'm like, I know. I mean, honestly, I don't view that it. as a negative. Like, I read a book, and like I follow the similar process to you where I'll read the table of contents, I'll skim, I'll isolate and identify specific chapters I want to read first or only read. But if I only find one idea, even if it's only one marginal idea in a book, I still view it as a success. I, I will take a book where I'm like, this one passage was relevant and worth it. That is a success in my mind. Full let's stop. Say, let's say two orange, five yellow, and then maybe two dozen between green and blue. Um, whatever the split is. That's kind of the bar that I have for anything that and above. I'm like, I spent a good amount of time reading this book. It was very valuable for me, very useful, very worth my time. Um, and then other books, I'm anything below that is kind of like, ugh. if you get a red, automatically you're worth my time. If you get like a ton of orange, um, yeah, yeah, we're we're in business. That's good. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I'm basically just like, you got to dance, man. Fucking mm -hmm. dance. I, I think of one book that um, you've mentioned on this pod. I'm not going to mention the name of the book. It's a business mm -hmm. book that you mentioned on this podcast like a bunch of times. It earned one red tape flag and nothing else. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's it. And it was in the middle of the book, and it's the, like, key point of the book. And that was, that was a very insightful red tape flag moment. That was amazing. Could it have been a blog post on Medium? Sure. Right. That's but it's an insightful, valuable point. I mean, and I think that's, for me, at yes. least the reading process, that is the most important thing. Like, are you coming out of it with an insightful point, with something valuable, with something interesting, with a new idea you're able to apply in your business life or your personal life, something that just uh, opens your mind to a new way of thinking? Uh, somebody actually sent me a copy of Cadence, a photo of a copy of Cadence and Slang that was covered in tape flags. I just lost it. Just lost it. If you have that, you want me to break down crying for five minutes, by all means, email it to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's real. Like that's, there's so much wasted paper in nonfiction. There's so much wasted paper in professional texts. They want to feel special and fancy by being a published author. And so they give you chaff. That's what mm. it is. You can accuse Cadence and Slang of many things, but one thing you cannot accuse it of is chaff. It's 120 mm -hmm. pages long. There ain't much chaff. Fair, fair. So uh, one thing that I do, and I'm curious if you do the same, I try, and this is on the advice of Eric Davis, I try to process out one or two directives from the most valuable books, just lessons, ideas, core concepts, and those become part of my reference library. So when I want to reference like, okay, what was the big insightful thing from book X? I have a directive I've extracted from it. Do you do something similar where you'll go back, review notes, or review uh, uh, your thoughts on the book to pull out whatever the most valuable or relevant thing is for future reference? Yeah, I look at all the red tape flags. Fair. <laughs> That's This is not hard. And it is... If I did that for every book, I would read six books a year. 
Like mm-hmm. the goal is to th- always think about how you're understanding the knowledge and whether it's helping you and then have a decent process for recall. And that's what it is for me. Because otherwise I would just be hung up on the same book. And that happens sometimes, right? Um, I currently, every time I'm writing a book, first thing I do is I turn to the Elements of Typographic Style by Robert Bringhurst, the book I ripped off for Cadence and Slang in format, if not in substance. And, um, and I've done that every time, right? And I have a lot of tape flags in all three of my copies of the Elements of Typographic Style. Um, and, and I go through and, and think about what is valuable for me in those books. And, and the same in business, right? Like if I'm thinking about what do I need for business negotiation, I look back on the like five or six books that I just remember in the back of my head and I've organized them by subject in my library. So I have that. And then I take out the ones that I remember to be most insightful because I have a good memory for what gets the most tape flags. And I look at all the red tape flags. That's it. This is not hard. I go through a lot of tape flags. <laughs> I do a slightly different process, similar to the tape flags. Uh, after that, I will go through, like I said, two, four, six weeks afterwards, review the book, and then I'll copy out onto index cards, whatever the most valuable points are. And I have those categorized and stored in a card filing system. And so if, when I start a project, if I'm like, I need reference material on marketing or hiring or sales, I could pull out a stack of index cards and be like, okay, what were the core ideas that I've encountered on this topic? Flip through them, the index card references what book it's from. And I could be like, okay, I have these ideas, let me sort them into what's relevant and what's not. And in this way, I'm able to essentially do a card sorting activity with the different information, the different core concepts I've extracted from books I've read over the last few years. For me, it's been an incredibly valuable process as a reference library. That's it. Just read. Read a lot. Don't stop. 